Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain and I am on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. I created this podcast to give a voice to passionate small and medium entrepreneurs around the world. I hope that the stories, practical tips and advice my guests share will inspire you to better navigate your own entrepreneurship journey. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today, I am with Kashmira Modi, principal coach and founder of Learning Essence, located in India. Hello, Kashmira. Thank you very much for joining me. Hello, Laurent. Happy to be here. Great. I'm very happy too, because this is the first time I'm going to India virtually. <laughs> welcome, welcome to India. <laughs> so my, my podcast is actually now available there. And I'm pretty sure that the entrepreneurship scene is very vibrant uh, in India. But before we talk about that, let's kick in the conversation and tell us a little bit about your journey. Like you said, I grew up in, in India, in Mumbai, which is on the west coast of India. And it, the really, the big milestone was when I turned 20 and I went to America mm. to complete my electrical engineering studies. And like a good south asian girl you know you 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 do a a good degree and you get a good job so i definitely ticked all the boxes i used to work with at&t and um, which later on adopted many formats but it was at&t it was the telecom giant and i was lucky to travel with them all over the world so as an engineer and then Finishing as a tele, uh, technical director, I traveled the world with them. Uh, Laura, I was really lucky. I, I worked in the United States, of course, but also in Singapore, Malaysia, Brunei. I had Central America for a while. I had some beats in, um, in Asia, apart mm. from India. So I used to do Sri Lanka. And so after eight years, I came back to India on the back end of a divorce. And the fact that AT&T in the meantime had kind of imploded and disappeared as we know it. So um, I came back and um, it, I had to hit the reset button. And mm. so when you hit the reset button, then it seems like nothing fits. And life loves a good joke. So suddenly you not only lose your relationship, you lose your, what was your new home country, you also lose a job. And so it was really like starting from scratch. And I, um, I shifted focus and I started my entrepreneurship journey. Um, so uh, that's, you know, then that has been the last 14 years. And it's probably been, yeah, in retrospect, probably a great um, takeaway from a very painful time. <laughs> so yeah. you, you think that you became an entrepreneur because of those painful moments you had? I think that what happens is that Unfortunately, at least in my case, maybe other people are not, but for me, it took such a big crisis to actually reflect. Mm. And I think a lot of entrepreneurship is born out of some degree of reflection. You know, I mean, you, you, you become an entrepreneur because you have a new idea of a product or service, or you find a new way to do something. But I think that comes from a period of introspection. And so it's one of those causation things. It happens simultaneously. And so I think it did feed it. The fact that I was sitting at home for two years, uh, I had a lot of time to introspect. And, you know, so I won't say it's a direct result, but for sure the time, you know, when you're broke 
you have no relationship, you're living in your parents' home, then you have nowhere to go but to introspect, right? Mm. So that's what happened to me. And so I think that uh, I don't think one needs to um, become an entrepreneur after a painful situation. And in my case also, I think it was a little bit simultaneous and a little bit connected. That's what I would say. So from electrical engineering to being a coach, tell me, tell me about this journey, How, what, what happened? Yeah, so when I ended my, uh, my stint with AT&T, I was already in a leadership position. So when I came to India, I noticed that unlike the great companies of the West, the companies in India that were very successful did not have any process of developing leadership of developing people. So yes, we were very good programmers and we were very good salespeople. And we were very good accountants. And so functionally and technically we were very good. But what about learning how to grow as, as, as managers and as leaders and think, you know, and that's why, I mean, uh, and I hope that nobody in my country gets too upset, but that's why India has produced such great minds, but no great companies. I mean, no, you know, when you think of a Google or you think of an Apple or you think of a, a AT&T, it is powered by people from my country. Mm. And yet such a company has not been, you know, has, has not uh, come about in India. And you and I had spoken about this earlier. There are some other reasons for that also. But I saw that one of the things was that there was no systematic way of growing people into those roles where they could have that vision and carry people forward. Right. And so that's why I decided, you know, this is something I feel passionate about. I think that you take care of your people and people take care of the work. This is something that didn't come from me. It came from Richard Branson, but I've always felt that. So it's almost kind of like a validation of my own idea. Uh, so sorry, Sir Branson, but I'm taking it. <laughs> and uh, and um, so I started this, um, this idea really in my head. And I thought, okay, I'm going to coach and I'm going to come up with this program where leaders uh, learn how to be better leaders, right? Not because mm. they've been given a title, but because they get coached to, they get a thinking partner, they get supported. And you know, Laura, in the early days, coaching itself was so new. So looking back, I think we were doing a combination of consulting, coaching, and mentoring, uh, because that was the need of the hour. Uh, today, I think I would be a little more purist in my coaching practice. At that time, it was a little bit of a mix, but it worked. And I got my first client. You know how entrepreneurs are very lucky sometimes. So I had my luck right up. Like two months after I said, I'm going to start, I got my first client. Nice. Yeah? nice. And, um, and in retrospect, I think that's tremendous because it's never happened to me again. <laughs> I've never closed a client so easily and so quickly. But I will say that in the 14 years that I've been an entrepreneur, uh, yeah, I've always had work. And, you know, um, I've balanced the books and uh, haven't gone to sleep hungry. So... Not a bad journey, right? Uh, I know that some of your clients, they are entrepreneurs too, uh, leaders and entrepreneurs. And when we uh, discussed uh, earlier, uh, before we actually record uh, this interview, you mentioned something that really uh, struck me. You said that one of the big issues that you see in your clients is the lack of self-belief. Yes. Can you go into more details yes. about that? And for sure. I see this in my clients and actually it's 
I have noticed in my own journey, right? I think that this is connected to the fact that entrepreneurs and how much they can grow into becoming small, medium enterprises and then large companies are actually limited by how much they believe they can, they have permission to fail. Mm. So the self-limiting belief there is that I have already made such a big risky move by starting my own company, going out on my own, being an entrepreneur versus just being safe and having a job. So I have exposed myself into the realm of unknown within my community, within the people where, who I feel I want to be respected by. And now were I to fail there, that would be too much. So because I do not give myself permission to fail, that self-limiting belief, Laurel, does not also allow me to take risks, right? And I mean, this is my own journey. I've been a coach for 14 years. I've never taken a loan. I've never taken any funding. I've never asked anybody to invest money in a very robust business. And as a result, I haven't grown to the extent that I could have in terms of what I know and um, what I can offer. And this is literally, and it's only in the last three years because I also get coached and I work on myself that I notice that it's a self-limiting belief. It's a belief that when you fail, you are a failure. And great entrepreneurs, great company owners, founders will tell you this again and again that the only way you succeed massively mm. is when you give yourself permission to fail and fail spectacularly uh, you just don't have to stick with that failure you can move forward from that and i think nobody teaches that teaches you that in a business school or in any entrepreneurship school or you know i mean you just have to learn it and come across it yourself and hopefully it comes up in coaching conversations so for me i and I see this now in so, and I coach so many clients to it when they give themselves permission to fail, not only do they not fail, but when they do fail, they actually use that as a stepping stone for a paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah. I understand it makes total sense, but it is so difficult because, you know, I'm afraid of failing too. And then my ego is at play. You know, it's my ego telling me like, well, if you fail, you are a failure. You cannot fail. Although I do understand that failing is part of the game and that is fine because you learn from your mistakes and you learn from the, from, from the failures. Still, I have to pass my ego. How do you do that? So I think that the number one thing is you don't do it alone, right? It really helps. So some people benefit really from a community some people benefit from coaching some people benefit from mentoring whatever is your go-to process but i think one of the things is you need to unpack that feeling so when you say that my ego is in the way you, you need to unpack that a little bit what is underneath that ego right i mean there is um there is something that powers that resistance and when you unpack it, so my question to you would be, Laurent, if, if I was coaching you, tell me how does your ego look, right? Mm. Like, tell me more. How does this look to you? And we would get clues that, you know, that is it coming across as 
an emotion, as negative self-talk, as a, as an expectation or judgment from somebody you respect that has become a voice in your head. All of these are, I mean, in a coaching session, I would not make any of those suggestions. We would explore it. But since we are doing a conversation, what would come up would be that this would be one of the many things that would get unpacked, that it is probably uh, fueled by some judgment, expectation, blame, and shame, mm. right? One of the most powerful obstacles to giving yourself permission to fail is shame right and and across the board shame and secrets are what hold us back from our power right, right? and and the best way to lose you know have it lose power of you is to go public once it's not a secret it cannot hold you in its, you know, so the shame is gone. One, the first time you can express it, and you know this, and, and most people who listen will get it, that we don't say certain things to anybody because we are so uh, ashamed of being judged. Mm. You know, we are so, we are so, well, once you say it, even if you say it aloud to your cat, you can see that it gets easier to say it second time and third time and fourth time. That is why that's the power of journaling, of blogging. You know, honestly, Laura, I always feel blogging, journaling is healing the person who's writing it, not to the person who is listening it, to it, you know, mm -hmm. because in the saying of it, you are, it loses power. So you're saying that as leaders and entrepreneurs, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's fine. That's the other word. That's the other word. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the big one. And something happened to me two weeks ago, so I want to stop and speak about this. As soon as you choose to stand in your vulnerability, I just want to put like a public service announcement because I was there two weeks ago. It is absolutely normal. In fact, it is the norm that you are going to get a huge backlash. You're immediately going to get a panic attack that says, oh my God, now I have stood in my vulnerability. I have exposed myself. And now, like, I'm going to be like nobody, everybody's going to know who I really am. So that backlash is not only to be expected, it is the norm. And all I'm saying is expect it and let and ride it. You know, if, if those mm. who are surfers, they know it. The best way to, you know, to, uh, to come through with big waves is to ride it. Right. If you try to resist it, you're going to get hurt. So two weeks ago, I actually hit a wall. I hit a wall as in I was completely physically exhausted. I had this big doubt of, you know, why am I even doing what I mean? It was just a, it was it's the, it's the full Monty. And I wrote about it and I spoke about it on an audio blog. And so far, so good. And the amount of support I received, Laurent, was unbelievable. What did I take home? I went home. And that night I had a anxiety attack, mm. you know, like full blown because I thought who is going to sign me up as a coach if COVID could break me, mm. if I could have one program and collapse and have to talk about it, that's it. Nobody is ever going to be my client. And, you know, I was amazed at the strength of that have that anxiety. I was complete. I mean, I was really making all the strategy of how I'll roll it all back. 
I mean, I'll say somebody hacked into my account. I mean, I had this whole strategy. It's so crazy sounding, but it was so scary. And then you use the tools that you know. You breathe, you, you know, give yourself space, you center, and then that feeling passes. It does. And, you know, I have the ability to reach out to my coach and have a session. And, and then, you know, you unpack it. Mm-hmm. And um, does it go away? No. But you learn how to build from it and come back. Beautiful. Yeah? It's also, it also about all these stories we create in our heads for nothing. <laughs> That's what I hear from you, too. Absolutely. This is what also I see in my, in my clients and in everybody, the fear of the unknown, for example, or the fear of failure makes us create this voice in our head that tells us, you know, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do that, you're going to fail and blah, 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 blah. And we tend to listen too much to that voice. And most of the time, it's totally unfounded. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's very real. And when we have conversations like this, Laurel, I hope that people who listen really get that is completely okay. Mm. And that, I mean, it, were you to meet me on a street, you will meet a very confident, powerful woman because I am that. And I'm saying that it is completely part of the package to have moments that are vulnerable, crazy, you know, completely zoned out. And then the the difference is that you you learn tools to unpack it to process it and to move forward yeah uh, all right yeah. Uh, let's talk about entrepreneurship otherwise we're going to talk about this for for, for ages yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. you you lived overseas you traveled the world in in southeast asia mainly but you went to the us you're based in india what differences in how people approach entrepreneurship like in an emerging economy like india versus more developed countries what differences do you see yeah so i will make the direct um you know the direct comparison from the west and india because mm. and when i say india probably there are many emerging economies that would relate but when i say the west i could mean australia new zealand and then of course europe and and, and, and the North American uh, continent. I think the big difference is that when you start entrepreneurship in the West, it is really from um, building on what you've already done as a professional or when you have innovation, but the starting, the starting point is still funded and fed by capital. Right. Like so when you hear about, you know, the Amazon story, you have to see that, you know, on the first day, Jeff Bezos had seed capital from his parents Mm. and that was not a small amount. Right. So while and not only that, even the person who has zero funding in the West will still have great Internet, will have a relatively clean environment to work in, will be able to drive down to Radio Shack and pick, pick up stuff in India. When you talk about entrepreneurship, Laura, you are really talking about bootstrapping, Mm. right? Like, I mean, chances are that entrepreneur cannot pay for internet, cannot, has no space, has, you know, just an idea and is probably, you know, doing it after hours or in the, in the middle of the night. And the 
point at which that person uh, reaches a funding stage is really way down the pipeline. And the number of people who are successful entrepreneurs in India and never reach the venture capital or the funding or the series, all the glamorous words, is tremendous. So entrepreneurship in India is coming out of the fact that there are not enough jobs and there is mm. no state-sponsored security. So when you grow up, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're gonna go hungry. So you know, the birth of entrepreneurship is from need to survive. In the West, entrepreneurship is born from the need to thrive, to mm. innovate, you know? So this, and now of course, India is changing. So you see the tech, uh, startups, they're probably more on the Western model. But I'm talking about a whole degree of entrepreneurship that powers the Indian economy that's completely bootstrapped, right? So when I, and I'm really, really happy that your podcast comes to India because I feel like when, as you start to meet Indian entrepreneurs, you'll be amazed. I mean, the, you know, it's not just innovation in technology or in business, but technology in supply chain in you know the the innovation that is done in managing cash flow mm. in managing uh, you know because you can't uh, afford broadband internet you're doing sms right i mean so it's a whole brand new world so i think the big difference is entrepreneurship to survive and entrepreneurship to thrive i think that for me is is the you know is the general of course there are exceptions on both sides but in general Okay. Well, it relates to my experience living, living overseas in Southeast Asia for 20 years. What do you think the West, as you put it, can learn from that? The best entrepreneurs in, in, in the West are already learning. I think they are bright and curious and we live in a world, and like you, they travel a lot, so they see it. But mm. I think what touches my heart is, you know, we talk about networking in the West, but you haven't understood network till you come to India and you see how entrepreneurship lives only on the organism of networking. It's a living, breathing network, you know? Like if, if you are an entrepreneur starting in India, your mom will give you some money and then your mom's brother's sister will, you know, paint some painting. I mean, it's all, it's all, you know, my school friend and mm. it's all just, who you know, and that's how businesses run and thrive. So I think what the West can learn is how much investment is made in building these relationships. I think the depth of relating and for which you have to compromise and adjust, Laurent. You know, in the West, there is still difficulty in building networks because there is a need of my and mine. Right in the yeah. West, uh, in, in, in our culture, we still have our, you know, even if this, this glass belongs to me, I will say in Indian languages, we say our, because we believe that it is not just my property, that the people I love have equal dibs on it. And this, I think uh, the West can learn. Mm. And I think the West is learning. I, I truly do feel this. The best minds in the West are learning and learning and learning. Mm. Again, I totally relate to what you're saying with Southeast Asia, like in Cambodia, I lived 13 years in Cambodia. The level of networking, as you put it, is something that has always impressed me. This is something that is very difficult for us. I consider myself being not bad at, you know, networking, but 
I would never be able to, to network the way they do because like you said, it's all interconnected and they all help each other. Uh, something that we don't, that we just don't do at all uh, in the West. You're a coach and if you're the same type of coach as I am, you must be loving asking questions. What is your favorite question? Tell me more. Why? I think that, you know, like, this look i've been everybody who knows me knows this i love to talk i've been a chatterbox since i was five years old but as a coach i really get that everything happens when you are curious and this is the one question that immediately tells the other person that you are interested and you are attentive and then the magic happens long. As mm. soon as you feel that I'm interested in you and I'm attentive, I mean, my attention is fully on what you're saying. Wow. You know, it's like when you, it's like literally whatever you put light on grows, that person blossoms. And then whatever comes next is definitely going to be something that serves their highest good. So that's my favorite question. All right. What are you the most proud of? I think I'm most proud of the fact that I'm 51 years old and with the exception of a surgery, I've never had antibiotics in my life. I've never um, not paid my bills. So I've always paid my bills. Let me look at the, let me flip this. I've been medicine free. My body is healthy. I have taken care to make sure that I have paid my bills been fair in my business and you know i feel that i'm i have manners and i don't know why but i now live increasingly in a world where i feel like manners is something to be proud of mm. you know i have manners and i'd like to say that if somebody remembers me as the woman who was polite and had manners i think i would like that as my legacy you know manners are underrated there is something about just good manners I think that's what I'm proud of. All right. Well, you, you already uh, answered my next question, which was, which was about legacy. <laughs> so, so let me ask you instead, what's your big dream? What do you want to take your business to? Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't have an aspiration, um, which is just for my business. It's for my entire life. Because I really feel that what I do is a part of my life. I don't, you know, and I think the aspiration for me is clear inspiring transformation one conversation at a time and when mm -hmm. i say transformation i mean a life that is powered by what is within that person their value their vision their area of genius rather than being reacting to external judgments pressures uh, you know social media speak whatever so when you're powered from within you're living in transformation and i want to have the ability that every conversation i have either inspires or nurtures that transformation for me that's like an ongoing aspiration that i just don't have like that's the world i want to live in let me go deeper into transformation because all the coaches use use that word they all talk about transformation, but what does it mean, really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more than a marketing tool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I feel, and, 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 and it's really interesting for people listening to know that 
transformation, this is the reason I have taken time to define it because I feel like the different people use different vocabulary which is aligned with their own understanding. And my understanding is that for a very long time, everything I did and every decision I took was in reaction to what I thought would please my parents, the man I wanted to uh, you know, date, um, the boss that I wanted to uh, get a promotion from. So all these external benchmarks. And when I realized that I could also power all my decisions, the way I responded to life by my own value and my own vision, everything changed. I'm not saying that it was more convenient. I'm mm -hmm. saying it changed because it became easy. I was no longer having to keep up with anything. I was just naturally doing what came to me naturally. And as I got better at it, the experience of success, the experience of joy, the experience of meaning in life, it became also very natural. Mm. Yeah. So for me, I feel transformation is when you make that 180 degree shift. You do not respond outside in, you respond inside out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I don't think it's a marketing spiel. In fact, individuals and businesses, Laurent, can use this to be sustainably successful. I am convinced that if you look at the most successful businesses in the world, they might not use this vocabulary, but they are powered by their value and vision. Right? I mean, I've heard this famous quote from Apple which says, We consider the only competition we know is ourselves. Hmm. And because this is the statement of some, a company, a business, uh, a group of people who are driven by a value and vision, right? And so you are not, you don't think of how you grow by comparing to what's out there. You think of growth as in what can I do better? What is a reflection of my best self? So I am constantly going inside for answers than looking outside. Right. And it's true that we tend to spend too much time comparing ourselves to the com competitors instead of looking at, you know, within ourselves, because most of the answers, or maybe all of the answers are there. Sometimes they're just very hidden, very difficult to find. So looking back at your journey, your yes. entrepreneurship, your entrepreneurship uh, life, what key lessons have you learned along the way? There are two things. The first thing that I've learned is that when people share what is going on with them, all they are looking for is for you, so in this case for me, to listen and be present. There is no action item in that for me. I don't need to fix them, solve the problem, offer advice, coach them, do nothing. This is the biggest lesson of my life. When somebody opens up and says, Kashmir, I want to say something. All they need is your presence. Mm. So this is the first thing, Laura, that I, I feel like when I, when I got that, that shifted my whole life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing, and this is more businessy. One thing that I have learned is you become an entrepreneur or a business because you had a new product or service you wanted to offer or you found out a better way of doing something that's existing. I think that the most powerful thing for entrepreneurs to remember is that 
the first time you shift from that reason of being to doing something that's marketable or something that's going to sell or something that is the rage or the trend, that is the first day that your entrepreneurship is in danger of dying. It's not going to die because you don't have money. It's not going to die because you don't have clients. It's going to die because you forgot the why. And that I think is, these are the two things. Start with why. We always come back to that. I love it. Start with why. So if you have to know everything, sorry, let me rephrase the question. If you had known everything you know now, what would you have done differently from compared to when you started your business? I would have been more patient. Mm. I would have given myself the permission to wait and trust that what is meant for me will come to me. The places that I uh, compromised because I thought it's, this will go and I'll never get anything else, that I think are probably the, I have very few regrets, Laurent, but these are the regrets I have, is that I um, could have just waited. I, mm. um, I needed to have waited. That's what, that was, that was the game. That was the play. And I jumped in not because I was making a step of courage, but because I was making a step of fear. That right. if this goes away, I won't get the other. Nothing else will ever come to me. Mm -hmm. So we're coming back to the self-belief we, we were talking about earlier. Yes. yes. Would that be the one recommendation you would give to entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs? Right. Yeah. I don't know if you play cricket, but in cricket we have... I don't understand the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Look, some of, your, some of your listeners will get this. Yes. There is a saying that says, you know, you wait for the ball to come to the bat. And this is what I say to every entrepreneur. To work hard, work hard, work hard. Do everything you need to do to... And then let, wait for the ball to come to the bat. Your client will come. The people that need your services will come to you. You know, selling out out of fear or compromising out of fear, that I think um, is something that I would strongly urge entrepreneurs. Back yourself, trust yourself, wait. All right, the message is passed. Who inspires you or would you have any books to recommend? I have so many and there are so many people over the years, but I tell you who inspires me lately. And this is, this is going to be, um, I, we have recently moved to living on a farm. And so that's why the answer will make sense. What inspires me are animals hmm. and nature. Hmm. I have lots of time on weekends just watching them. And I tell you, there must be a class in colleges in future, which is just observing nature. Yeah, so that's what inspires me, the rhythm, the naturalness, which also belongs to us, which also belongs to us, and we can reclaim it. Yeah, yeah. so that's, and, and as far as books are concerned, I think that there are um, my top three, for sure. Um, the, the, the number one would be, for sure, Absolute Tao, which is a series of discourse by Osho, and it is in book form, and you can you know, get them everywhere. Uh, I've always loved, loved um, to read uh, 
inspirational business stories and stuff like that. But what the book that blew me away was Michelle Obama's The Becoming. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that she could have written a book about being the first lady. And instead she wrote a book where she talks about what it is to be a female person of color and be excellent and be accomplished and have a value and have vision. And this just blew me away. So this is current. And that, that I think is, you know, something that maybe uh, something that we all need to capture. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have that story. So the, those are the two that come to mind immediately. And if I had to pick my brains out, fine. But what's the fun of that? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Last question. How can people contact you? Well, my website is the best, learningessence.co.in. And of course, I'm on all the social media, uh, LinkedIn and Insta are my favorite. I'm not hanging out on Twitter too much, too much trolling. So LinkedIn and Instagram as Learning Essence. And uh, I would love to have a conversation with your listeners who reach out to me. Well, I hope they will. Thank you very much, Kashmir, for your time today. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for my guest or myself, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, send an email to contact at lauranotan.com or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.